People are standing in line to fight referee Bill Alfonso, and I'm not scared of any of them. Come on down, take a hit, try to hit Bill Alfonso. But when you do, you're gonna have a big problem. You want a piece of him, you gotta get from me. And I dare anybody to try and knock the chip off of his shoulder. So let's get this straight. If Stevie Richards, the King of Swing, loses Ultimate Jeopardy 95 in the steel cage, then I must face the Pitbulls, Public Enemy, and Tommy Dreamer all alone. Let me tell you something, Rocco Rock, Johnny Grunge, Pitbull number one and number two, and especially you, Tommy Dreamer. If you think Stevie Richards is afraid of you, you're right! Oh, please, God, don't put me in the cage! Oh, I don't want to live! I do not want to go in the cage! No! No! Ruthless aggression! I will sit right here and bide my time. As long as it takes to get what's mine. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Artie Era podcast, the only place where we decipher and dictate the era that rose out of the ashes of attitude and brought us back the land of the extreme. And today I'm going to take a look at a DVD that played a massive part in bringing back the land of the extreme, the rise and fall of ECW. Kiss my ass! Oh my God! beats you know when I, my time in ECW it was the greatest time of my life word association ECW fun end of story we were changing everything about wrestling that's the way we felt and that's what we believed it was like nothing I've ever seen before and uh, I became a fan instantly ECW was coming out with violence and the crowd just ate it up. Those fans were absolutely rabid. The Philadelphia fans are some of the most vocal and at times most violent. There were things that we couldn't do that Paul Heyman was able to do and attracted an audience because of it. That was smart. He showed us that you could appeal to one segment of, of the audience and, and, and make a go of it. I believe uh, Paul E's one of, the, one of the greatest minds in the history of wrestling. I didn't think it was gonna fall. This, is, this was Paul's baby. It just gave me a realization Appreciate what you have today, because it may not be there tomorrow. 
We kick things off with Taz. He's telling us about the early days of Eastern Championship Wrestling, which was owned by Todd Gordon and booked by Eddie Gilbert. Uh, Paul Heyman says Gordon and Gilbert had a falling out, so Gordon turned to Heyman. Heyman compares wrestling to music, talking about how Nirvana came along with their filthy grunge and destroyed all those hair bands. He says wrestling needed the same thing. So Paul invented the public enemy. Um, Heyman saw them wrestling each other all the time and decided to team them up. Uh, Taz, he talks about two white boys rapping was entertaining and we see Rocco Rock diving off the top rope through a table. Um, and then he also decided to invent Taz. Now, Taz at this time was not quite the same as he is today. Uh, back then, he had long hair and a, like a Flintstone outfit. Heyman called him and asked him to wrestle Sabu. And then we see clips of their match. And Taz says he wound up working full-time for Heyman. And he also introduced Sabu. Heyman talks about Sabu's reputation coming out of frontier martial arts wrestling. He talks about Sabu's suicidal tendencies and how they fit in perfectly with ECW's image. And then we see clips of Sabu doing stupid stuff, including the Atomic Arabian Face Buster. And I looked at Sabu and I, I was mesmerized by him because here was someone that had scars all over his body and a total disregard for his own well-being and looks like he will fight you to the death. And to me, in developing the aura of ECW, Sabu was the main key to it all. Because here was a guy that we could put, put up his picture on television and people would say, yo, that's different. Oh my God, Sabu! Sabu going up top with the chair. Atomic Arabian Face Buster! Paul then goes on to talk about Terry Funk wanting to come in and make some new stars to ensure the survival of the sport. Uh, this leads to the freeway dance 60-minute draw between Shane Douglas, Terry Funk and Sabu. Paul then talks about his relationship with WCW. We see footage of Heyman in a sombrero during his time in WCW. Uh, Dreamer thinks Heyman would have moved to the WWE as Paulie dangerously, but he had a niche in ECW, and Heyman says they treated him like shit, and he told him to go and fuck themselves. All this was unbelievable. was brilliant. I didn't like them and they didn't like me. I didn't like the way I was treated. They didn't like the way I treated them back. I pretty much told them to go fuck themselves when they were treating people like shit. And I don't think they enjoyed that. And then we focus on Tommy Dreamer as we see him transform from Pretty Boy into someone the fans respect. This leads us into the Sandman versus Dreamer feud that introduces Singapore Canes to everybody and turns Dreamer into a hardcore, tough, hit me as hard as you can bastard guy. Uh, Tommy Dreamer talks about the difference between WWE and WCW and what ECW was doing at the time. And Paul talks about how you have to respect the past, but to find something new to present. We see Mick Foley then, and he's talking about WCW wanting to establish relations with ECW and get his sent over as a goodwill gesture. And then in August 94, Shane Douglas wins the NWA world title, throws it down to create the ECW world title. <laughs> God, that's beautiful. 
and Rick Steamboat, and they can all kiss my ass. What in the hell is he doing? Because I am not the man who accepts a torch to be handed down to me from an organization that died R.I.P. seven years ago. The franchise, Shane Douglas, is the man who ignites the new flame of the sport of professional wrestling. On the next show, Eastern Championship Wrestling was dead and Extreme Championship Wrestling was born. We skip a, a year ahead or so with the Malenko Guerrero invasion, thus showing that ECW had suddenly was the place for these young stars to make a name. Um, ECW knew they couldn't compete with the WCW and WWE on Lightning and Pyro, so they they looked at the positives. Uh, they said we're not going to talk. If anything goes wrong, we're not cutting it out. Um, make it a bit more like reality TV. If someone fucks up, it's been left in. If the fans boo a babyface, we're leaving it in. And then we focus on Raven and Tommy Dreamer. Heyman talks about how great it was to have Raven because Raven knew exactly what he wanted and how to do it. Dreamer talks about choking every time he went up against Raven. Um, the angle, which was one of ECW's best, uh, Dreamer was the popular jock in high school. Raven was a reject. Now Raven's back for revenge. He even brought a fat girl from Dreamer's summer camp, which was Dreamer's wife um, in non-kayfabe world. Um, of course, who was now a Playboy playmate. We then focus on Sabu getting fired. Uh, Sabu and Taz became a tag team and even won the tag titles. But then Sabu no-showed because he was booked in Japan. Heyman went out to the ring and fired Sabu in the middle of the ring. Uh, Dreamer says Heyman doesn't lie to the fans. He'll lie to the wrestlers, but never the fans. We then see Taz. He breaks his neck um, and results in taking nine months away from ECW, which obviously sets up a massive showdown when he returns. Uh, and then we get a great, funny, freeway argument uh, via the, the wonderful world of editing with Heyman, Bischoff and Vince as Paul accuses Eric of raiding Benoit and Eddie. Eric accuses Vince as raiding the territories years ago and Paul, he, uh, he gets accused of bouncing checks. Uh, Paul retorts that Eric's full of shit and then Vince, that he admits that he raided the ECW roster. Did they make that choice to come to WCW? Of course they did. Did some of them make those choices to go to WWE? Of course they did. But... That's not a raid, despite what Paul Heyman and, and others would have you think. Eric Bischoff is full of shit, and much like a lot of other people, never gave ECW the credit that ECW deserved. Eric Bischoff stole Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko from ECW in one fell swoop. Same way he signed Chris Jericho from ECW. Same way he stole the Cruiserweights from ECW. And it was a smart move by Eric Bischoff to do it because he was in a competition with WWE and he had to have the talent and he found them in ECW before WWE had a chance to sign him as well. It was smart by Bischoff to do it. I just don't like the fact that he never says, yo, I stole that from ECW. Because he did. It was blatant. We sued him over it a bunch of times. I didn't think it was the right thing to do that, you know, that we would just raid, you know, his talent roster and give nothing back. We put Paul on the payroll because of, to compensate him in some way of taking a lot of the talent, you know, that he had. Contrary to that, of course, was Eric Bischoff, who you know, would take his talent as well and not give him anything. You know, so, gleefully not give him anything. <laughs> 
Um, but in response to losing a lot of talent, Paul gave Conan a quick call and brought in Rey Mysterio, Juventud Guerrero and Psychosis. This led to the Lucha Libre evolution, um, helping create a hybrid style that you possibly do see a lot today. Um, of course, Bischoff signed all of them. <laughs> And then that leads us to Stone Cold Steve Austin. Well, stunning Steve Austin getting fired, which allows Paul to do his Steve Austin impression, which is brilliant. I worked with Steve in WCW. I was his manager. And then I was out of WCW. And then Steve went on to team with Brian Pillman. And they never really got the chance that they deserved. And then Steve got fired by Eric Bischoff over the telephone. Steve was home and he was pissed off that he got fired. And I was lucky. I was the first guy to call him. And I said, hey, what are you doing? Oh, goddamn, kid, just sitting at home, got fired. Really? Ah, fucking assholes, they fired me. What are you gonna do about it? Gotta sit at home, drink beer. Well, you wanna talk about it? Uh, yeah, let's talk about it. Well, you wanna talk about it on the air? On the air? Yeah, you wanna talk about it on the air? Oh, goddamn, kid, how do you want me to do that? I got a TV show. You got a grievance. Come on up and air it. You're Steve Austin! You know, that's why you're wrong with me, Joey, because Steve Austin doesn't have what it takes to get it done in the ECW, brother. Um, and we get the Monday Nightcore promo, which is fantastic as well. Um, and we go nine months later and Taz makes his triumphant return to wrestling. Uh, but he's not the Tasmaniac Flintstones character. He's now bringing the big fight atmosphere. He's like a UFC fighter. Um, but on the other end of the ECW spectrum, Raven is still Sam and son and wife. Uh, the Blue World Order, they end up um, in the culmination of Stephen Richards' series of parodies. Uh, the fans absolutely adored them. And it's one of the things that shouldn't have worked but did. Um, Raven, Tommy, uh, Bueller announced a pregnancy which led to some dodgy lesbian angle that kind of paid off uh, with Tommy's I'll take them both reaction which is synonymous with ECW Vince's curiosity with ECW started at the King of the Ring in Philadelphia when Mabel was crowned King of the Ring and the entire arena is chanting ECW with great passion and anger at Vince McMahon It's 568 pounds, listen to this. I had heard about ECW, and there's this other, you know, wrestling organization, ECW, local in New York, and um, I, I didn't, I kind of dismissed it at first, you know, and it started making a little bit more noise. Vince is coming back to Philadelphia to do mind games, and obviously we had such momentum at the time, it would behoove his business to acknowledge ECW. It's this other brand out there. And why not incorporate it? It wasn't, you know, on the same par in terms of value or whatever, but why not incorporate it? Why not try to do something with it and see where it goes? I wouldn't have done the same with WCW, you know, but it was a way to broaden the business. It's not going to help us to be embraced and endorsed by Vince McMahon. It's going to help us to rebel against Vince McMahon. So we came up with a way that everybody won. If we have an opportunity, we're going to there is a there's a local wrestling group here in Philadelphia and obviously trying to make a name for themselves here. And Paul Heyman says he first realised how big ECW was at the King of Ring 95 when the fans got bored with King Mabel and started chanting for ECW. 
A year later, WB came back for Mind Games. Uh, Dreamer and Sandman, uh, they attacked Bradshaw and Savio Vega during their match at the pay-per-view. And later in the night, uh, Taz, he jumps the rail, holds up an ECW signs. It's one of them things that, that kind of now, um, especially if you look at AEW and stuff like that, that happened to be commonplace for a New Japan or TNA. But back then, phew, that shit blow your mind. Um, back in ECW though, Ravens crew to find Sandman with Kurt Angle in the audience, uh, thus making Kurt Angle kind of want to avoid wrestling for a bit. Uh, Raven actually had to apologise to the audience for doing so, and Paul lied to Angle saying it was never going to happen, which standard. <laughs> We then come into the pay-per-view era, um, but Paul can't break into it on demand, but fans petition until it happens. And then the mass transit accident happens. Um, it's been spoke about time and time again. Axel Rotten no-showed. They substituted an underage kid. Uh, New Jack kicked fuck out of him. He asked New Jack to uh, cut him open. <laughs> New Jack did such that. Um, lawsuits followed and the pay-per-view companies pulled out. But Paul, he begged and whined, finally got back on pay-per-view. Um, so with the WWF roster overseas in February, ECW gets raw for one night in Manhattan, leading to a mini-invasion to pro promote the pay-per-view. Then we get to the pay-per-view, barely legal. Um, the focus of them is on RVD versus Lance Storm. RVD and Lance Storm, they talk about Rob's bad attitude that night. Um, he wasn't booked and then was thrown onto the card with Lance Storm and he how he created the Mr. Monday Night persona as a result. Taz talks about his big match with Sabu. Um, Terry Funk, he won the world title from Raven 10 seconds before the power supply blew up to kind of cap off a great evening. Um, so Raven's left ECW. Uh, Tommy finally gets the win over him, but that reads directly to Jerry Lawler showing up to invade ECW, uh, which kind of didn't eventually up going really anywhere. We then focus on the wrestlers talking about doing other jobs behind the scenes to keep costs down. Um, quite interesting because like, you got Stevie Richards who was doing the ECW hotline, uh, Tommy Dreamer personally doing the t-shirt orders. And then we lead on to Al Snow talking about finding head and saving his career as a result. Uh, Paul's apparently spent a fortune buying all these styrofoam heads for the fans, um, which was uh, just a dodgy thing. To, could you imagine that happening now? I don't know. Um, we then cut to Eric Bischoff. He denies that ECW was ever the number two promotion and he explains exactly why. He also questions trying to create a national promotion out of something with hardcore content. Vince, he never considered them a threat and denies taking the Attitude Era from ECW. Uh, this leads to a, it's great, it's a series of clips showing all the stuff they obviously stole. It takes some of the ECW uh, aspects of what they were doing and sort of reshaped it in our own form. Um, but I never considered them a threat. It was a totally different brand. It was, it was not what we were about. Attitude grew from ECW's revolution. No doubt. Nobody can deny that. I do believe there's some truth to that. When I started in WWE as mankind, uh, uh, there were two things I used to hear when I came out. One was you sold out. Uh, that was coming from ECW fans and ECW chants whenever anything wild was taking place. It was always seen as being a tribute or a ripoff of ECW. And as our style in WWE got more physical, those chants stopped. And that physical style became synonymous with WWE, not ECW. But I think had it not been for ECW, you wouldn't have had a WWE attitude. Uh, Taz talks about the match with Bam Bam Bigelow where he went through the ring. Uh, this leads him to invent the fuck the world title to express his annoyance with Shane Douglas ducking him. Um, eventually, Taz beats Shane to unify the titles. And we move along to Dudley Boys and their fan-friendly activities and abusive tables. Uh, we get Bubba's We Got A Woman Who Taught Her Daughter How To Suck Dick line from the Heatwave 99. 
Um, and next up, the guys talk about working for little money. Uh, Lance Storm, he talks about bounce checks and having to confront Paul about it. And Tommy Dreamer didn't get paid for six months. So to continue surviving, they needed national TV. So in September of 99, ECW debuted on TNN. By this time, however, the promotion had lived past its expiry date, was running on borrowed time, especially with the current ideas of who to push. However, with two weeks to go before they debut, WBF, they stole Taz and the Dudleys. Taz, he felt he had nothing left to prove, wanted a new challenge. The Dudleys saw the money, money, money. The Dudleys actually did want to stay, asking for $1 more to stay, but Paul refused and they left. And in 2000, they got kicked off the network to make way for Raw, leading to Paul doing a crazed rant against TNN on national TV. I'd like to take this moment to thank you for watching ECW. You have to be an ECW fan to watch this show because God knows the network has never put out one freaking commercial or one press release to let you know that we're here. But that's their scheme of things. You see, in just a few weeks, the network is going to give $100 million to Vince McMahon like he needs it to replace us. In case they haven't thrown us off before then. And the fact of the matter is, we're not a publicly funded company like Vince McMahon or WCW. We survive or even thrive on your support. And for that, we thank you. Now, in an industry where everybody wants to be real... And everybody wants to do a shoot. This, my friends, is a shoot. We hate this stinking network. We hate their guts for abandoning us. We hate their guts for not supporting us. We hate their guts for not advertising us. And we hate their guts for not having the balls to throw us off the air. And just in case you're watching this, hey, network, I dare you to throw me off the air. Because I'm going to break every rule that you put in front of me until you throw me the hell off the air. Now this, my friends, is a shoot. You better take that $100 million that you're going to give Vince McMahon and you better spend it on attorneys because I promise you, Network, the war has just begun. And that was pretty much for the promotion. As the pay-per-view buys were drying up, the fans stopped watching. Uh, but they do continue. Rob Van Dam was like the only remaining star left. And when he broke his leg, there was no left. More people left. ECW champion, he jumped ship to WCW with the cops after getting involved so he can't throw the belt into the bin. Uh, Taz does a surprise appearance at a spot in Indiana uh, where you've got a WWF in Taz beating a WCW wrestler in Mike Awesome for the ECW title. Um, Taz brings it back to WWF and does the job to Hunter because Vince, uh, but which Vince actually does apologise for, which is fair enough. Uh, but back in ECW, Tommy Dreamer wins a title from Taz, which is his only reign with a title, which is crazy, really. Crazy. Um, and then he immediately loses to Just Incredible in the opening match. Um, it's just one of them. It's mad. Tommy Dreamer's like, synonymous with ECW, and he had one title reign. Um, but Tommy says, the only reason I won the title is because guys left, um, which is, is kind of sad, isn't it? but it, it's Mr. Mr. fucking ECW, isn't he? Uh, Bischoff talks about trying to serve the hardcore audience and win over mainstream at the same time, but how it couldn't work. So Paul talks about trying to find a new network, but they couldn't because TNN wouldn't cancel them. And when they finally did, the ship had already sunk. Um, and in January of 2001, the promotion quietly folded after a small show in the middle of fuck knows where, with a scheduled pay-per-view that was got never produced, and no alternative thanks to the death of WCW. And then the final shovel in the dirt for the promotion, it comes as Paul Heyman replaces Jerry Lawler on commentary for Raw and ECW. It's dead forever. I say forever, we get the invasion, and then obviously this DVD brings it back. We get it a few years, and then it turns into what it kind of was that 
hopefully I'm going to try and get Mike's to let's just ignore that. <laughs> we don't need to go there. Own your own company and be the boss or come someplace else and work way down the ladder taking orders from people. I don't think Paulie's the type that likes taking orders. I think he wanted to be successful, uh, just the cards were against him. I do not think that Paul Heyman got what he wanted because Paulie is an evil genius. Paulie is Dr. Frankenstein and Dr. Frankenstein didn't want an answer to anybody. Paul really likes to run his own ship. Uh, and was infinitely proud as well as he should be for what he accomplished. And I think that if Paul had his druthers today, I think he would still be running ECW and ECW would be, you know, more successful now than it ever was. I really think that that was Paul's dream. Uh, and for it to go into bankruptcy, um, and yet for Paul to still want to be in the business that he loves, I think speaks highly of the individual. You know, so I don't think he got what he wanted, you know. It's not his dream. You know, his dream was to have ECW perhaps, you know, surpass WWE. You know, uh, I think that was his dream, and um, he didn't have that. You know, but but he does have the reality of, of what his dream was, and that's something to hang on to, and something that Paul Heyman can be extremely proud of forever. This documentary, I thought it was fantastic. Um, three hours long for, I suppose you've got to be a bit of a diehard to sit and watch through it, uh, but it's a long documentary, very insightful. Um, like I said, it was, I think, because it was, as I said earlier, Vince McMahon never saw ECW as a threat. I think that this DVD was produced in a very positive light. Like, I couldn't imagine a DVD of this positivity on WCW. So obviously that was a promotion that Vince always saw as trying to put us out of business. He never saw that with ECW. It was funding ECW. It was, it was obviously a big fan. He used a, a lot of their ideas moved over with the hardcore division and a lot of the talent came over. And then obviously when we go into the invasion, a lot he brings in a lot of talent, gets brought back and um, a, a fair amount of this talent sticks around for a bit. So and then obviously going forward again, like I said with with the rebirth. Um, so Vince obviously must have been a fan, or somebody who's, if not Vince, somebody in Vince's ear must have been a fan, because this video, uh, this video, this DVD even, absolutely banging. We do get a few extras on the DVD as well. We get a few matches. We get the ECW World Tag Title Double Dog Collar Match. There's a lot to say between Raven and Stevie Richards versus the Pitbulls. Um, we get Rey Mysterio versus Psychosis. We get the ECW World Title Ladder Match between Sandman and Mikey Whipwreck. We get Two Cold Scorpio versus Sabu. Tommy Dreamer versus Raven, which was supposed to be the final match at this time between them. Um, ECW TV title, Taz versus Bam Bam, uh, with Michael Cole and Taz doing a bit of alternate commentary, which was a fantastic touch. And then a bit more later, we get, uh, well, and then we get the ECW TV title match with Rob Van Dam and Jerry Lynn, which was from Hardcore Heaven 99. And RVD provides a bit more commentary along with Michael Cole, which again, great touch, great touch. And most of our matches lasted at least 20 minutes. You know, sometimes they'd be uh, 30, 35, 40 minutes. And uh, we both really drew a lot out of each other that nobody else did. You know, it was a great showcasing of RVD's talent. So I always looked forward to these matches. And at the time, ECW was a group that was, like, coming up, like, changing the standards, you know, like, uh, week by week we were raising the bar, you know, and I was raising it on myself, right. you know, always having to outdo my own moves because the crowd was so hardcore they demanded that. And that's why if they had given the championship over to Jerry Lynn on a decision like that, the crowd would have just booed him all the way out. I mean, they would have maybe literally eaten him up. So when he asked for those five more he minutes. He had to. He had to. And, of course, 
that's where he fucked up. Well, he did, because Rob Van Dam would actually pin Jerry Lynn, which set up now the rematch, which we're going to take you to now at Hardcore Heaven. Check it out. But overall, I thought this DVD was absolutely fantastic. Um, it's on the network, I believe. Um, so if you've not watched it, um, give it a look, uh, give it a watch, give it a listen. I think it's fantastic. Um, if you don't know much about ECW, if, if you're... Yeah, if you're a bit newer to the times and ECW was never your thing, go back, I'd give it a watch, firmly recommend it. Um, I've always said for me, ECW, um, I was late to the party. I was very late to the party when I first had any real, um, apart from like wrestling magazines and the odd DVD, well, video at the time that my brother used to always get, um, the odd bloody pickup from the market. Um, the only really, that was kind of my content with ECW. The first time I was ever really introduced to watching it as a, as a product, was, we're talking the Just Incredible Rhino years, <laughs> which was, it wasn't great. It was still hardcore and everything else. I remember the game they brought out, um, which was very similar to WWE Attitude, I think it was, um, or one of the games, and it was very, very similar. It had barbed wire ropes and lots of blood and shit, and it was, I fucking loved it. Um, but yeah, so I was a bit late to the party. I've gone back and watched a lot of ECW over the years. Uh, it's fantastic. There's so many hidden gems. I said a lot of people, they, they kind of look at ECW and think weapons, blood, violence, which it is. But also, like I said, go back to your Psychosis, your Rey Mysterios, your Malencos, your Guerreros, uh, your Jerry Lynn's, your Rob Van Dams. There was so much wrestling. It was, it was 10 years ahead of its time. 10 years ahead of its time. But this has been a review of the rise and fall of ECW. I hope you enjoyed it. I've been Dave. This has been the Art Era podcast. Thank you very much. And if you do like what you hear and what you listen to and what you see, you can get a fuck ton load more content over on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Art Era podcast for $1. There's a best part about 30 episodes on there now. Check us out. But if you don't, I hope you just enjoy this because we do it for you and I do it for me because I love it too. Uh, until next time, I've been Dave. Peace out, people. Ruthless aggression. I will sit right here and bide my time. As long as it takes to get what's mine.